Chapter Fourteen of The Man Who Ended War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Man Who Ended War by Hollis Godfrey. Chapter Fourteen by using the device which ministers at the same time to the vanity and the necessity of man the clipping barrel i replied we will subscribe to that distributor of special information and get every clipping for the last six months that bears upon falling blinds signs lost or stolen iron they can ransack the files for us and send us the result of their labor just the trick cried tom enthusiastically we'll go straight to work on it now let's get out of here bearing our precious tube of gas we started back leaving swenton to close the laboratory and follow later no such delightful wandering was provided for our return as for our coming all too soon we were back at the savoy with our day's labor over ready to follow the new trail wherever it might lead us two mornings after the eventful day in heidenmuller's laboratory i knocked at dorothy's door and entered to find the broad table of her sunny parlor covered with piles of neat clippings, each with a docketed slip at the top. The clipping bureau had exceeded my best hopes, and had turned in the information in quantities. Tom and Dorothy were bending over the piles, sorting them, as the maid ushered me in. If you hadn't told them to sort these things at their office, we should have been swamped beyond all hope of salvation, grumbled Tom, as he stood with a bundle of clippings between every finger of both hands. Where are the Westminster shutters, Dorothy? Here they are said dorothy now i want the chelsea signs it's just like solitaire the signs are my cards blinds go to tom and you can take stolen iron that's stolen iron that heap of packets over there on the other side of the table i sat down to my task hour after hour passed and we sorted read and rejected now and then a clipping would go aside for further reference occasionally a packet or a single slip would pass from one to another lunch took an hour but after lunch we turned again to our labors and afternoon tea-time came and went before we were done at length tom rose and gave a mighty yawn eight that look good he remarked eight from me i echoed ten chimed in dorothy that's not half bad said tom reflectively there were hundreds of clippings there and we've brought them down pretty low all things considered we three dined alone that night and when the coffee came on tom reached into his pocket and pulled out a long envelope with the twenty-six clippings which comes first he asked signs or blinds or stolen iron match you to decide i answered and pulled out a sovereign i'll take signs you take shutters tom won shutters against stolen iron then dorothy cried i'll match you this time said tom we matched again and again tom won then one of my eight shutters is the trump card exclaimed tom i'll number them one to eight and then pass the bunch around so we can each pick the two that look like winners then i'll pass the signs to pick a second choice dorothy in her gray gown of shimmering silk her face flushed with the excitement of the decision pored over the little list carefully for some minutes before she returned them to tom who passed them on to me remarking briefly i made up my mind when i picked the eight out of the bunch Three times over I read the list, which told of blinds dropping on still days and injuring passers-by. Tom had eliminated the accounts which told of signs and shutters blown off in gales. It might easily happen that a gale and the escape of the destructive power would occur simultaneously, but the unusual was the thing we were after. There, most of all, would lie the clue we sought. 
At last I came to a decision and looked up. One in the first lot and three in the second, I said. One in three, echoed Dorothy. The same, said Tom. Great thing to be unanimous. Read them aloud, Jim. I obeyed. A shutter which fell from a house on Gower Street, just off Tottenham Court Road, struck a passing laborer yesterday morning and inflicted injuries of so grave a character that he was immediately removed in an unconscious condition to the hospital. His identity has not yet been established. That's number one. A large sign which fell from a second story at Chelsea yesterday broke in pieces on the sidewalk beneath, but fortunately inflicted no serious injury. That's number three. Which do we choose? Both of those look rather good to me, answered Tom. But I think the one near Tottenham Court Road looks best. The chances of finding the man's laboratory would be greater in Bloomsbury than further out. Dorothy nodded her approval. All right, I said as we rose. The Corps will move upon Bloomsbury at dawn under command of General Dorothy Haldane. Dawn being interpreted as 9.30, we will, answered Dorothy, laughing. The next morning found us bowling along towards our destination, discussing, meanwhile, the method of attack. Leave it to inspiration, I said, as we drew up at the door. Let me play a lone hand on this. Luck was with me. There was a sign of lodgings in the window. Leaping out, I walked up the steps and rang the bell, while the cab went on down the street. The maid who opened the door was trimmer than I had expected to find. The mistress of the lodging house, when she appeared, though a perfect mountain of flesh, gave signs of a very considerable intelligence. Yes, there were lodgings, a second and fourth floor front. Up the stairs panted and wheezed the stout landlady, while I followed in her train. On the fourth floor we halted and entered the small hall bedroom at the top of the stairs. I threw the window open and leaned out and looked up and down the street. "'Bad thing if a shutter fell from here,' I said. "'Wasn't it in one of the houses near this that a shutter fell and injured a laborer a couple of months ago?' The landlady seized my lead instantly. "'It was the right-hand shutter,' she said. "'In the very window you're looking out of now.' I bent eagerly to look at the hinges. They were brand new, while those on the other side were strained and worn through years of exposure to wind and sun and rain. "'You don't say,' I replied. "'Most interesting.' I suppose the hinges rusted and broke? No, said the landlady. That was one of the queerest things about it. After the whole thing was over, I came to look at the place where the shutter fell. There was no trace of a hinge. It must have pulled right out of the brick. And when I went the next day to look at the shutters in the kitchen, the hinges, screws, and everything were gone, and I never saw the least trace of them from that day to this. We had the new shutter put up a week later. What luck, I thought to myself as I looked around over the adjoining housetops, hit it first time trying. Somewhere behind those roofs lies the laboratory of the man who is trying to stop all war. I parted with the landlady, promising an early decision, and went in search of Tom and Dorothy. They left the carriage as I approached and hurried towards me. The iron of the shutter disappeared, I said significantly. Tom gave the long low whistle which always typified interest and surprise to him. "'You think the man's laboratory is somewhere near here, then?' asked Dorothy, excitedly. "'Judging by Hammerley's experience with the sign opposite Dr. Heidenmuller's laboratory, I certainly do,' I answered seriously. "'This probably happened just as that did.' "'Then,' said Tom, "'it's probably up to us to make a house-to-house -house canvas of the neighborhood. "'It looks to me as if the chances were better in one of the buildings on Tottenham Court Road "'than in any of the houses round here.' "'That's right.' 
i answered briefly tell you what we'll do we'll ask at every shop if they know of any chemical laboratory tell them we're hunting for a man who works in such a laboratory lay it on thick and give them plenty of detail that's the way to get the information you want i'll wait for you in the carriage round the corner dorothy called after us as we started away from bake shop to dairy from furniture store to shoe shop i travelled searching for some news of my poor cousin george who had worked in a laboratory somewhere near the corner of tottenham court road and gower street and who had disappeared persistently diplomatic i forced my way on under rebuff after rebuff leaving no store until i had a pretty vivid idea of the various occupations which made their home on every floor of its building as i left after receiving one particularly stinging answer i caught sight of tom across the street beckoning I followed him at a little distance until he turned a sharp corner into a little alley. He appeared slightly disheveled as he turned around. "'See here,' he said abruptly. "'I'm afraid we'll be run in if we keep this up much longer. I've been in one row already. Had to knock a man down who made caustic remarks about sneak thieves. What have you got hold of, anyway?' "'I haven't got hold of a thing,' I responded. "'Well, then,' said Tom, "'let's cast back and take another look at the topography, just where the shutter fell.' back we went over the ground once more and stopped to examine cautiously the window with its green blind that's a fourth-story corner room said tom reflectively and the house next to it is only three stories why you blind man he went on suddenly only one side of the shutter fell so the attack couldn't have come from the front it must have come from the back of the house let's go round and see what is just behind this round the square we circumnavigated landing finally at a building some five stories high whose first story showed the shelves and cluttered window of a second-hand bookshop beside the shop a flight of stairs led to the upper stories no sign gave evidence of any business carried on above the first here goes for the bookshop said tom and we marched in a tall stooping youth of exaggerated height with lank and flaming red moustache came wearily forward stifling a cavernous yawn as he came we repeated our stock inquiry to him we were colonials from australia seeking our cousin george who worked in a laboratory did our friend with the red moustache know of any laboratory near a gleam of interest lighted the slightly watery eyes i don't know rightly whether it's a laboratory or not he began but there's some sort of a bloomin show occupies our whole fifth i've never been able to see inside of it yet you might try a shot at it over we received the volley of misplaced aspirates with joyous hearts noting the gleam of avid curiosity in the watery eyes as the clerk thought of the mysterious laboratory on the top floor all he could tell was that the top floor had been let a few months before to a tall man with the usual vagueness of his type of mind that was as far as he could go over and over again he repeated the same indefinite phrase a tall man when the man moved in a couple of vans had brought strange furnishings a small furnace glassware and instrument cases a little while ago an assistant had appeared a foreigner who knew no english or at least refused to understand the language the two the man and his assistant often worked together till late at night sometimes the clerk believed they worked all night as for him he would have repeated the thing to the police he didn't believe in having mysteries like that around but his master, the proprietor of the bookshop, refused to part with regular-paying tenants. Yes, sir, he'd try again and again to see what they were doing, but there was a curtain over the door, and you couldn't see anything through the keyhole. 
the door was always locked so that the adventurous spirit of the clerk had to be content with imagining the horrible crimes perpetrated behind the curtain door this certainly looked good with anxious hearts tom and i started up the stairs in search once more of our cousin george halting however at the second story once the clerk was left safely behind it certainly looks like queer street anyway remarked tom reflectively it may be the man or it may be some bunch of counterfeiters or other criminals i'm not going to back down for a minute but i think one of us had better hunt up dorothy tell her where we are and have her put the police on the trail if we shouldn't happen to turn up tonight. strikes me that would be only an elementary precaution i'll do it i said you watch here before tom could object i was halfway down the stairs and out on the street on tottenham court road i found dorothy driving up and down she leaned forward questioningly as i jumped in i nodded in answer yes we got the place but we need your help now warned by experience as to its necessity i had mapped out my line of argument carefully as i hurried along we have the very place but we want you to stay outside and send us help if we should get into trouble dorothy's face fell i want to go with you in the worst way yet i don't like the idea of you two going into danger without any outside assistance what have you found out it was no easy matter to convince her yet when dorothy saw the condition of affairs there was really nothing she could do but give in for us to explore that unknown territory without some line on the outside to protect us in case of peril was manifestly unwise certainly it was not possible for us to let so plain a clue go by at my command the cabman drove past the old bookstore up the street and round the square back on the main thoroughfare again i made ready to return and join tom you've got the place fixed clearly in mind i asked looking up at her from the sidewalk to my surprise dorothy's eyes were filled with tears and her voice came pleadingly i wish you did not feel you had to go i don't know why i feel so strangely about your going but i do isn't there some other way out i felt my resolution waning as an almost overmastering desire to seize her in my arms in the face of shocked and respectable bloomsbury swept over me we've got to follow the trail to the inn dorothy i answered everything's going to be all right don't worry as i turned away i felt a light touch almost like a caress on my coat sleeve accident or not no knight ever went into battle more inspired by his lady's gage than i bearing that accolade strode towards the old bookshop in the mysterious laboratory on the fifth floor tom greeted me eagerly as i reached the second story not a sound from the laboratory he began and luck of lucks there's an open empty room opposite where we can wait come on up up the stairs and into the empty room we passed pausing briefly to examine the blank and heavy door of the mysterious workers fastened by heavy locks our waiting place proved nothing more than a bare attic chamber with a constricted view of roofs and chimney-pots not exactly the abode of luxury i said glancing around critically but then it's all in a day's work i've waited in worse places for a lot smaller stakes folding his greatcoat for a cushion tom seated himself back against the wall he had left the door a trace ajar i'm practically sure that there's no one in there now and we'll wait here till they arrive but shall we be sure to hear them when they come up the stairs by jove never thought of it not a thing to read with us there's a bookshop downstairs i wonder if i dare to try a sortie he thought for a moment no not yet anyway tell you what i'll do here's a sporting proposition for you he pulled out his penknife and opened it here's a bully bare floor i'll play your game of stick-knife to while away the time 
nobody but an eternal boy like tom would have conceived of a game of stick-knife to while away the time of waiting before the mystery hidden by the blank face of the oaken door across the passage nobody but an eternal boy would have won so exasperatingly expert in all intricacies of the art tom had far outdistanced me as a knife juggler and i was lagging far in the rear when we heard the quiet closing of the door five stories below in an instant we were on our feet waiting for the ascending heavy footsteps tom's mobile face stiffened into rigid lines as he crouched poised beside the door while i stood ready to swing the door open and spring if necessary on the man who came as the footsteps halted on the landing before us tom bent towards me the assistant he whispered let him unlock the door and we'll push our way in with him everything happened in the twinkling of an eye the jingle of keys the slight creak of the opening door then a sudden bound and we were across the hall and in an anteroom facing a bewildered man evidently a norwegian whose blond face was framed in flaxen hair and spade-shaped flaxen beard and whose somewhat cow-like eyes peered out from spectacles of massive frame he was clothed in a queer straight-fronted long blue sack-coat with voluminous almost sailor-like trousers as he saw us standing on either side of him he started back for a moment but then stopped short his keys still dangling from his hand pardon this somewhat sudden entrance i said in my politest tone but we are inspectors to visit the laboratory a flood of unintelligible gutturals followed my statement this was accompanied by vehement pointings at the door by which we had entered and which was now closed with tom before it i sat on the table swinging my legs till the torrent passed then as it died away i walked boldly to one of the two doors on the opposite side to that which we entered tried it and then tried the other both were locked carefully watching the assistant's face i pointed first at the keys still dangling forgotten in his hand and then pointed at the first door i had tried going to it and shaking the lock to our surprise the indignation in the man's countenance suddenly ceased a mild acquiescence shone from behind his glasses and going forward he unlocked the door opened to a twilight behind and went in we stumbled in to the half-light tom closing the door behind us as we entered i tripped over a chair and fell headlong throwing tom who was following as i scrambled to my feet a guttural laugh rang in my ears and a door slammed there was a sound of bolts run home as i dashed forward only to come headlong against a closed door i rushed back to the door through which we had entered and shook it in vain hearing to my bitter mortification a bolt running into its slide as i shook a sound followed by another outburst of northern teutonic glee foiled on both sides i wheeled to look about me and saw tom already making a rapid investigation of the premises we were in a small room perhaps ten by twelve surrounded by blank walls save for openings made by the two doors on opposite sides the only passage to the outer air was through an iron plate perhaps nine inches by three feet placed in the flat roof in this were set small glass bull's-eyes of the same type as those used to light basements from sidewalks a couple of wooden stools made the only furnishings of the room tom turned to me at the end of his inspection and shook his head i've made many a bad break in my life he said regretfully but coming in here after you and closing that door is the worst yet that assistant with his fool face tricked me completely same here i answered but there's no use in wasting time talking about it 
if there's any possible way to do it we must be out of here before the man can notify the master right said tom let's try smashing our way out first by aid of these stools in the pause that followed this proposal we heard the heavy slow step of the assistant cross the anteroom heard the opening and the closing of the outer door we were left alone good said tom now we can make all the noise we want to suiting the action to the word he gave a mighty blow to the door with the wooden stool the door stood like a rock but the stool flew to pieces the fragments of its seat narrowly missing me as they flew by a well-made door said tom reflectively they don't have doors like that in most modern houses as he spoke he crossed the room to examine the door on the opposite side same staunch build he remarked judicially we couldn't be caged better outside a prison i'm rather lighter than you jim he went on let me get up on your shoulders and try this small roof window he climbed up and in a minute or two came down again padlocked with an iron bar and staple from the outside he said briefly there's just one thing left to dig our way out with our knives through that solid oak door i don't know of course whether we can do it or not but i think it's the only alternative that's one way but not the only one i said one thing we can do first put a signal out for dorothy how can you signal dorothy asked tom break a hole in one of those glass bull's-eyes up there i answered and put a rung of the broken stool up through with my handkerchief tied on it good work said tom just the ticket in two minutes our flag of distress was waving on the roof now for the door i cried and we both set to work on the hard oak about the lock british oak is proverbially tough but that oak was the toughest that ever came out of britain's primeval forests i verily believe when we had worked on it for what seemed like an endless time we had but a slight furrow on either side of the lock and two broken blades to show for our labors still we kept doggedly on chiseling and cutting little by little till some impression really began to be made at length tom straightened up painfully that's back-breaking work all right he remarked with a groan i never knew how much i sympathized with escaping prisoners till now as we leaned against the wall i heard a slight movement outside hush i muttered there's a sound the noise grew louder it was a key turning in the inside door then not one but three or four persons came hurriedly across the floor towards the door by which we had entered tom seized the whole stool and poised it ready to rush out while i gripped a rung of the broken one the bolt shot back the key turned the door swung open and there in the rectangle stood dorothy hammerly the assistant who had imprisoned us and an unknown elderly man in a moment dorothy was in tom's arms but her hand groped for mine as she clung to him she sobbed only for a moment recovering herself almost as swiftly as she had broken down good work old girl said tom patting her i don't think frankly that i was ever so glad to see you in all my life as dorothy still with a slightly tremulous smile turned towards me tom gave his hand to hammerly how in blazes did dorothy do this trick anyway he asked i saw your signal of distress from the other side of the street broke in dorothy and i drove straight to the museum for one of our friends there i didn't want to bother with police if i could help it i met mr hammerly just where you met him before on the steps and just think this good man here is the bookshop man we met him as we came down to the door after trying the place so you and hammerly charged the lion's den alone did you i interrupted why of course said dorothy it's all due to her 
said Hammerly. No, it's due to the assistants getting frightened, said Dorothy. Isn't it, Mr. Elder? If you'd not been here, Miss Haldane, said the bookstore proprietor, I never should have known what he was after. I couldn't make out at all. What kind of laboratory is this? I asked, determined not to be thrown off the scent. The old man laughed. I fancy my clerk must have been telling you some queer things. I've never told him all I knew. I don't mind keeping him wondering. This is my brother's laboratory, and as to what he does, uh, look here. He threw open the second door, and we gazed in. Sets on sets of false teeth, boxes of dentist supplies, and dental machinery met our view. I suddenly began to laugh. Tom looked at me for a moment and burst into peal on peal of laughter, while the whole crowd, even the assistant who had been gazing anxiously at us meanwhile, finally joined in. At last, weak with laughter, I asked, Why did the assistant shut us up? He thought you were burglars, explained the bookshop man. And as my brother is out of town, he ran for me. My brother is a little careful whom he lets in, as he does his main business in another place, and this is a side affair. And so the incident of the false teeth laboratory closed. The outer air had never seemed so good to me save twice before, when I left the New York prison in Tom's motor car headed for Dorothy, and when I came out from the bottom of Portsmouth Harbor. I took in long breaths of it as we walked towards the carriage and as we drove towards the hotel. Dorothy sat silent beside Tom, but every now and then I met her eyes, and they fell. The old look seemed gone. There was a change, a new and very sweet timidity. Tom drew a long breath. A good night's sleep, he said, and we'll tackle clipping number three. Agreed, said I. Agreed, chimed in Dorothy, provided you'll take me with you, but I won't go through another afternoon like this for anybody. End of chapter 14